So, Eric. Yes. I'm Dan. Oh, wow. Hey, Dan. I'm Eric. Yeah. And <laughs> I guess you know that. You said, my yeah, name. yeah, I, I knew that. But, you oh, know, yeah. it's still a good thing to let the people know who don't that we are the Acceler to Thrust podcast. Yep. Yep. All, and every, uh, week. <laughs> every week on Thursdays at 10 a.m. as it stands yeah. right now, which I'm sure you are all listening at exactly that time. Oh, yeah. When it first uploads. Yep. <laughs> That's how you spend your Tuesday mornings, I'm sure. Yeah, that Tuesday and going to the store Tuesday morning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot there was a Tuesday morning. Oh, wait. It's store. Thursday morning. Happy well, Thursday, everyone. <laughs> Tuesday sounds better. That was the uh, back yeah. when uh, CDs were the thing. That was the oh, yeah. national release day every week. Hmm. Now I think it's Friday, oddly enough. Oh, well, dang. So, so I don't know. Thursday has no relevance at all. No, Thursday has Thursday's never really been a thing. I mean, Thursday always made me thirsty because oh, thirsty because it's Thursday. Thursday, and then Fridays always made made me want to get French fries. You know, because it's Friday, <laughs> and, and Sunday f- made you want to get an ice cream cone. ice cream cone. <laughs> before we started recording about this dream that I had. And I want um, Eric to try and interpret this dream. Okay. So I'm not going to be able, I have this weird thing about dreams. Like I don't remember every detail. I I Mm -hmm. never do. And so anyway, I'm probably forgetting some important things, but I guess I'll just kind of do like a quick sort of overview of what I remember about the dream specifically. All right. So for some reason I'm in this house, which kind of, it sort of resembled um, my, the house, the old house that I live in Nichols, Iowa right now. My dad built a new house on the land and it resembles the old house that he moved it, that we all moved into when I was like 16 out here in Nichols. Uh, but it wasn't exactly that for some reason, my sister and her husband were living there Mm -hmm. and there was like something going on about a mess that I needed to clean up or something. And I don't remember exactly like what, you know, what that was about, but I just remember there was some sort of drama happening in the dream, Mm -hmm. but, um, I don't remember again. I, I don't remember the details. And then all of a sudden, it was almost like, you know how like that thing happens sometimes in dreams where it's almost like a, it's like a time warp or something where you like, it's like you jump dimensions where you're like one place and then all of a sudden you're at another place. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden I'm like driving home and I have this like uh, bag and in the bag is a dead deer. <laughs> okay. So the only thing I can figure out is that for some reason I was out hunting deer in this dream and I don't hunt. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much, that's the the basic details of the dream that I specifically remember. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
And then I looked up on uh, line. Well, actually, first, I want you to tell me, Eric, uh, what do you think that dream could mean? Can you piece anything together? So let's see. Um, By the way, I am a psychoanalyst. That's why Dan's asking me. Um, for those who I, don't I, know, <laughs> I trust the science and Eric's science is, yeah. you know, what's coming into play here. Yeah. Yeah. Cause my science is magic. Yes. So that's why I changed <laughs> my name to have a K at the end. Eric magic. So it was like magic, magic, um, Eric. Yeah. Magic, Eric. They made a there movie about me anyway. <laughs> uh, so let me get this right. Uh, you are in what feels or seems like your old house. Yeah. Was that house destroyed? Yes. Well, yes, it's, um, it was demolished because my dad built this new house Right for the new house. Okay. And there's some sort of mess that needs to be cleaned up. Yeah. Like that's what I think. Well, that's what I think was happening, but, Mm -hmm. and then there was also some arguing or bickering going on, but I can't, I don't know. Like I'm a little foggy on the details there. Okay. And your sister and her husband were there in the old. Yeah. House. They were there for some reason. And they were in the old house, right? Yes. Okay. Well, it, it kind of had the feeling of the old house, but it wasn't quite that, okay. you know what I mean? So I'm going to consider that part, part one of your dream. Okay. Okay. So part two of your dream, you are driving, are you driving your current vehicle, your van? Uh, well, I think it was, I think it was a truck if I remember correctly. Okay. A truck you've never owned either. It was either a truck or a car. I don't know. Something like that, but you're driving. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then there's a bag, right? Yes. And inside the bag is a dead deer. Yes. Okay. And the bag is like just a duffel or something. Yeah. It's like a, well, yeah, it's like a, yeah, like a like a big big old duffel bag. Like an army duffel or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. And inside it's just a dead deer. It's not ripped up or no nah, parts. It's, it's like pretty intact. No, no. It's it's okay. pretty much just like like I had shot the deer or something, you know, like okay. but there wasn't any like indication that like there was no wound or anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, not that I remember in any way. And then no wound. What happened at the end? Or did you just wake up? I think I just woke up. So you opened the bag, saw the deer, and you woke up. Yeah, I do remember that there was a part of the dream, and I'm recalling this just now, actually, Mm -hmm. too, where my dad was like, um, this this is really weird. He was Mm -hmm. walking into the house. And I don't know at what point this happened in the dream, mm-hmm. but he was walking like into the house and it was like lightning out or something. And behind him were like two other guys. Mm. And I think they were each carrying duffel bags similar to the one that was in my truck or car. I, I can't mm. recall if it was a truck or car. It's the weirdest thing. Right. And one of them looked like, do you remember the movie home alone? Yep. And do you remember the uh, old guy with the beard who yep. uh, he thought shovel. was like with the shovel? It yeah. kind of looked like him and a combination of like, <clears throat> I don't want to say his name, but he was a uh, business owner in Muscatine who I think may have passed away. He owned a shop 
down in on West Third Street called Wholesale. Do you remember Wholesale? Yeah. Okay. Kind of reminded me, and I actually I don't even know his name. I think his name might have been. I don't know. Yeah, I think it was. Okay. Um, hmm. Yeah. So okay. So yeah. There's there's kind of more to it. And oh. all right. So any any more um, possible? Well, the home that you that your dad was walking into was it the old house as well? Yeah. I mean, I would assume so. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. It was like on the outside. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. That's a tough one. So without getting too personal, uh-huh. well, without trying to get too personal, which I probably will, because dreams yeah. are personal. They are personal. Yes. Um, I would say that part one of the dream, the old house and your sister there and a mess that needs to be cleaned up. Uh-huh. I would say that that all seems fairly straightforward that okay. you you stayed at the house uh-huh. and your sister moved away and now you're left to take care of things. That's a, a really, really good interpretation actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, no, seriously, that actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah. that's pretty straightforward. Uh, right. I guess the only thing then is what does the dead deer mean? Because right. that worries so, me, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah so you're driving home and you have a you you don't know you have a dead deer until you open the bag right okay so that to me is sort of the crux of the whole thing in this part two of the dream is that you don't know how bad something is until you look at it oh okay right sure and so to me this could be related to part one of the dream if you consider the mess that you you have to clean up something that you didn't know about until you looked into it and then these problems or issues keep piling up because people keep carrying in these bags that you haven't opened yet but you assume are probably more issues and since that's a dead deer it probably is our issues that you don't think can actually be resolved like you can't really fix a dead deer sure sure you know so that would be my take that's actually a really interesting thing so i'm uh i looked up online and Mm -hmm. this is what i found this morning but i'm kind of looking right now and i'm finding like different interpretations but the one i found Mm -hmm that made me really kind of, it basically stated that somebody in your life mm-hmm. is, is not who you think it is basic or who you think they are. It, they're mm-hmm. not as they seem. Mm-hmm. So that, that was kind of creepy. Like mm-hmm. when I, when I saw that, but then I'm also seeing, so that was this morning. And then I'm also seeing like seven different seven different loss of innocence which i mean i lost my innocence a long time ago (laughs) in more ways than one age 12 man yeah well uh, yeah well maybe not that (laughs) long ago uh and then okay here's here's another one that's like interesting bad luck but that's shooting a white deer wasn't a white deer 
And I didn't shoot it. Yeah. Connection to nature. This is the one that I think actually might be going on here. Uh, Regeneration. Mm. You see a deer who has been dead for a long time, which if it's in a bag, it's probably been dead for a while, you know? Uh, Yeah, a little while. Yeah. I mean, a little while, yeah. It could be a sign of regeneration and rebirth. Mm. The deer is becoming the soil. The grass and weeds are growing over it, and it's returning to earth, much like fate. Again, we can see with this symbol that the cycle of life is being fulfilled. Mm. Um, I have been kind of just going through like some things in my life uh, that I have realized that need to be changed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or, or I've been certain behaviors that I have been working really hard on trying to change. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is the most likely mm-hmm. interpretation. So cool. Um, anyway, I just thought that the, I just wanted to share that with yeah. you and all of the listeners yeah. because I, I like sharing my personal life with everybody. <laughs> and also, um, this is a great way to introduce our new service, which is dream analysis. So dream analysis, if you yes. send us a message on Instagram or Facebook, um, describing your dream, then Dan and I will, um, analyze it and tell you what it means for real though. Like if you guys have a dream and you want us to just talk about this dream in the intro of our episodes, we will do this. <laughs> We will do this. Just have any interaction with you guys. Yes. Just, just, you know, yeah. you know, what would be awesome is if we found a way to have a call in feature. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if you can huh. do that with these things. Well, if anyone out there has an idea of how you can call in us, call in and tell us your dreams. Yes. <laughs> and then and we'll analyze them. Tell oh. us all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah y'all, you might also want to edit out the part about the uh, 12-year-old thing. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Why did that really happen? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I, I, I mean, trust It you. happened to me. <laughs> really? No, it didn't. I figured not. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was Maybe like, if you reverse those two numbers, that's when I lost my... 20, <laughs> 21. Yeah, okay. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got weird and deep and <laughs> we are yeah. really heading into um some different realms uh real quick also before we start the record reviews wino from the obsessed uh-huh. uh canceled um some dates some festival dates mm. uh because um he believes that the uh the covet is a bioweapon wow. <laughs> so anyway i just I figured we should cover that in, you know, like 30 seconds. News in 30 seconds or less. (laughs) (laughs) And in wino news today. (laughs) We'll just talk about wino. (laughs) Wino, either the actual stereotype of somebody who drinks Mm -hmm. or the guy who is in a metal band that thinks that COVID is a bioweapon. Yeah. Or my favorite style of shoe. Really? What what do wino shoes look like? I've never, I don't oh, think they're kind of like um loafers. Uh mm-hmm. they have they're usually black and have a gum sole and they come from like the dollar store. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, they're just winos. 
So why no shoes? Yeah. Okay. So I <laughs> covered all the winos. <laughs> we covered all the winos. Got the news. We covered the dream about the dead deer. We, that's all we had today. That's that's all we had today. Uh, <laughs> Just the I, important shit. Yeah, exactly. So y'all have a great night and keep your shoes on. Yeah, keep your shoes on. Don't go barefoot <laughs> or deerfoot <laughs> or deerfoot. Oh, 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 I see what you did there. Yeah. Uh, folks, uh, yeah, we still like records, don't we? Yeah. All right. They're pretty good. Well, that's good. Mm, so yeah. we have four records we're going to review, plus our local selection. We're kind of doing something a little different with the local selection as it. We are reviewing a single, which just dropped actually on the same Friday. Was it Friday the 13th that the mm -hmm. Closet Witch single dropped? Yeah, it was, because that's why she released this, uh, but the same day that Closet Witch dropped their single, uh, Nalani Proctor, who was also a Kia Cuck musical residence, just like Alex from Closet Witch. Nalani is really good friends with uh, Closet Witch. Hmm. I met her for 10 minutes, maybe, <laughs> mm -hmm. at a PBJ's show. She used to be part of this sort of alternative duo called PBJs and she's really obsessed with horror movies. And that is essentially the reason why she released that single, I think on Friday the 13th. And we'll get into the explanation as to why I think that and I'm almost pretty positive that that's the case uh, later. But before we do that, I want to talk about my first pick, which is by the band Sunny Day Real Estate. How It Feels to Be Known. This is the band's third album. It was their reunion album after they had broken up in 1998. Sunny Day Real Estate is kind of known for being pioneers of like, I guess, second wave emo sort of, but I think they're kind of more than that. And I also, it's sort of a misnomer as I don't really think Sunny Day Real Estate were even really aware that the music they were doing was supposed to be that because hmm. the first album diary uh, came out in 93. And that was really before emo was really sort of a, I guess a term, I guess they used it in the eighties kind of to describe some of those discord bands mm -hmm. and like embrace and rice rights of spring, which musically those bands couldn't be further away from the sound of what, is known as emo today or even what it became in the 90s. Um, but nonetheless, the influence that Sunny Day Real Estate has on that scene is undeniable. And uh, so the first couple of albums were, ironically, for being early 90s records, I would say probably the most emo sounding. In fact, I would, I would say Diary, their first album, it's almost ridiculous how ahead of the curve they really were just as far as guitar tones go as far as the song structures go i mean it was the basic template for like midwest emo from mm -hmm. the 90s and again this was really before that stuff existed at least in such huge numbers so they broke up and their second album was just a pink cover and that was it and from what i understand it was actually an unfinished album and they had already broken up so they released it after they had broken up that was it um i think that was in like 94 and then 
Nate went and joined the Foo Fighters. So did William Goldsmith for a while, but William Goldsmith got kicked out of the Foo Fighters and rejoined Sunny Day Real Estate with a new bassist in 98. And they put out this album. And from what I understand, uh, the singer, Jeremy Enoch, was going through um, the um, phase of being a born-again Christian. I shouldn't say phase because I, I don't know. He could still be Christian to this day. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But you can really kind of tell there's something very spiritual sounding about this record. Something very, um, I don't want to say psychedelic, but it definitely sounds like he's having, and this is going to sound really cheesy, but that sounds like he is having some sort of awakening or epiphany with some of the lyrics on this record. It very, it kind of has that same feeling in a, in a weird sort of way as like Radiohead's OK Computer a little bit, but it has almost no resemblance to the past two Sunny Day records. I mean, it it's very much an, a record that I feel exists in its own universe. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of got a post hardcore thing going on a little bit, kind of an indie rock thing. And it does have elements of what you can hear on diary, but it, it almost sounds like a completely different band with a completely different singer. I mean, the songs are much slower, much more um, like the best way I could describe it and this is kind of how I would describe Radiohead in a, in a much different way mm-hmm. is like you two, if they were playing like post-punk or mm-hmm. hardcore, I guess hardcore would be better because you two kind of were almost a post-punk band anyway in their early days. Mm-hmm. But um, the, this is a record that I has held up so much for me over the years and still today just blows my mind. There's a lot of emotion that I feel Jeremy is singing through the songs. The song structures are out of this world. The guitar tones are out of this world. Like literally this sounds like a record. This sounds like a record that wasn't recorded by humans to me. It just, to me, it's just that good. And that might sound kind of silly, but I think Pillars is one of the best opening tracks on a record ever. I really can't say enough good things about this record. I really love it. I think it's hands down the best sunny day record. I think if you're a fan of Radiohead and you're a fan of the, um, for lack of a better term, slower, more spiritual kind of emo, like Midwest emo or whatever, um, something like maybe Joan of Arc comes to mind or something Mm -hmm. like that. Musically, like Godspeed without the orchestration. I think you'll really like this record. Yeah, to me, it's really, really good. What did you think, Eric? I liked it quite a lot. I had heard uh, the first record, mm-hmm. uh, and I had heard this back in 1998. I yeah. feel like I probably listened to it maybe five to eight times, maybe not even all the way through, and like in the background at parties and stuff. I I wasn't that into it. Um mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think the reason is, is because of the idea of genre. Like, yeah, we use genre a lot on this podcast. And the reason we do that is because it can be a really useful sort of shorthand to talk about different, different ideas and feelings and sounds that happen that can't really 
be described unless you compare them to other things, you know? Right. And I think that's just how talking about music goes. Yes. But with that being said, I think genre can be a really big disservice as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it sometimes can keep people from hearing things that um, they would really like, you know, just because they, and by they, I mean me, they think, oh, I don't like emo or whatever. And so you hear it once back in 1998 or whatever, and you're like, yeah, I get it. It's cool, whatever. And you never listen to it again. So that's what happened to me with this record. And I wish it wouldn't have, because it really is really amazing. And I don't even understand how this would fit into what my idea of emo is. Yeah. And that might mean that I have no idea what the hell emo is. That's very possible, but it's also possible that this is just that different from other things. So uh, just to get that out of the way that, yeah, sometimes, and, and I've said that this before on the show, sometimes what you think about a band can keep you from finding out what they really are. Right. And it can be, you can really do yourself a disservice because when I listened to this, it didn't remind me of all the things that it was supposed to remind me of. And I sort of triangulated like some different things that I heard in there. On one end, you could have something like Enon or Caliphone or something like that, especially when it goes into the higher vocals, when they're doubled up, the way the songs are put together, they jump around, they move around. The tone and the sound of a song can change pretty quickly without losing itself, without it becoming experimental in any way. And so on one end of it, I can hear that kind of thing. Another end of it would be almost like the kinks or especially the Beatles, like vocally. And I know comparing anything to the Beatles is stupid, but I mean, literally the vocals sound just like the Beatles in a lot of this. And then on the other end of this whole thing would be something like Tool. I hear a lot of elements of tool in there and i know that sounds crazy too but there's like middle eastern scales there's like off time rhythms or polyrhythms there's the same kind of vocal delivery in certain parts of the songs you know and so when i'm listening to this and hearing all that like none of that in my head says sunny day real estate or emo or what i thought those things meant so I was really blown away by it and awesome. really surprised by it because it's, it's really good. And I just have to say, you said that the, the bass player on this was not the original bass player. I don't believe so. Maybe on this record, but I, cause the, I believe, I believe Nate um, mm -hmm. was in the Foo Fighters full okay. time by this point. Cause the bass playing is phenomenal. It's unbelievable. Like that first, like it's some of the best I've heard. And I, and yeah. I'm very particular about my bass players. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I just don't give a lot of credence to bass players because a lot of the time they're not, they're not working into the songs the way that they could. They're playing the roots, they're playing, you know, in time and everything. But the bass playing on this is like compositionally, it holds the songs together. It, mm -hmm. it's what makes a lot of it interesting. Like there's counter melodies, there's, counter rhythms there's like whoever's playing bass on this and i didn't do a ton of research but they're composing the song like yeah they're they're the ones making it 
interesting and um, dissonant and pretty and things like that. I'm not saying everyone else isn't doing an amazing job either, but some of the ideas and chances that the bass player takes on this is it's mind blowing. So, and that first track pillars too, mm -hmm. uh, just that alone, like the bass part is the most memorable part of that entire song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it, what, yeah. Like you said, it's mm -hmm. what drives the song. It's amazing though. And so I would say, and I don't mean this as a dig or to sound negative or anything like that. And, and so I hope you don't take it the wrong way, Dan, mm -hmm. but every once in a while you'll pick something and I'll say, Oh man, everyone's heard that record, you know, right. But every time you do pick one that, that I think that I'm surprised by it. And I remember either how good it was, or I find out how good it was. And I didn't even know. Yeah, so I'm really stoked about that. And so anyone listening to this, if you think, oh, that sunny day real estate with that star thing on the front, I've heard that a million times, listen to it again, because it's not what you remember. It's much better. <laughs> well, so. first, I would like to say that I don't take offense to that at all. Eric. <laughs> I, um, I actually am stoked that, yeah. uh, that I'm having that kind of a, uh, an effect on your view of, you know, albums like that. Yeah. I, I would like to add something real quick uh, before we move on to your first pick. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you brought up tool because yeah, that is totally right. First of all. And I actually remember having this conversation and kind of comparing this album to tools on them. I, I don't mm -hmm. know why I didn't even like mention tool in my review, but mm -hmm. uh, it kind of brought back this memory that the reason why I would compare this to tools on actually has to do with the evolution of each band mm -hmm. from the previous album, mm -hmm. because tools undertow is an amazing record. Mm -hmm. It's actually one of my favorites from them, but the part of it is I don't want to say basic because they're anything but a basic mm -hmm. band, but it's, uh, you know, a, a very straightforward kind of nineties metal record, you know, mm -hmm. like there really isn't a lot of bells and whistles to that record. It's pretty straightforward. Then you get into Anima and it literally is like, what have these guys been doing for the last three or four years this doesn't even right. make sense mm -hmm. like this sounds like it was recorded on another planet by people who are not human beings yeah that's exactly how i feel about this record if mm -hmm. you're going to compare this to sunny days work in the early 90s mm -hmm. before they broke up it's like i don't know if that being a born-again christian like ignited some sort of creativity in jeremy enoch mm that radiated through the rest of the band, or I don't even know if it's Jeremy Enoch who's responsible for the direction mm -hmm. they took on this record, but sure. God damn it. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't sound like, I mean, it, Anima doesn't sound like anything else. Mm -hmm. Neither does this record. Yeah, I can't I agree. I mean, yeah, I'm going to say that like, I'm going to say Radiohead, and it's, you know, you brought up tool mm -hmm. and I can actually see the Beatles. I can see the kinks. Mm -hmm. I can see, you know, Enon and stuff like that too. Yeah. That's that, those are all very interesting, but at the end of the day, this record sounds like nothing else. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. And for it's, sure. it's great. Nice. So my first pick 
is by an artist named Laura Carbone. This is a live record and it's called Live at Rock Palace. It came out 2020, so somewhat recently. I had listened to some Laura uh, Carbone in the past and I thought it was really good. Um, I thought it had inklings of the kind of stuff that I really like, um, twanginess, atmospheric, stuff like that. And so I checked this one out. And this live record, I can see why they put it out um, almost in lieu of a new release because um, it it's really pretty different and it's really cool. I think it's really cool. Yeah, so this is just a set of uh, live tracks from her first two records. And with the first two records that these songs are on, uh, the production is good and it's cool, but it also is like, I don't want to say overproduced because that's not it at all. It's just very produced, you know, like you, you can tell that they made a lot of decisions in the sounds, how things were put together, how it was recorded, all that stuff. And it sounds great. The songs are cool and I really like them, but this on the other hand is a live band. I assume it's a guitar, bass, drums, uh, maybe another guitar, organ, things like that. Um, pretty straightforward rock kind of setup. Um, but yeah, it, it comes off as really different as than the the, re the recorded versions of the songs because of that. I think that in a way it's a little more reserved because they can't pull off all those same things that they did in the studio. But in another way, it's way more sort of untethered and wild, I think is the word I would use. Um, but yeah, the songs are really cool. Uh, especially there's one called Night Ride, I think. Um, that one, the mm -hmm. live version is just so amazing. But yeah, overall, it's twangy. It's dark. It's atmospheric. Um, and like I said, it's heavy, but it's heavy like it's heavy like acid rock or like like Howlin' Wolf or something like that. It's heavy in a way that's not heavy metal. It's heavy rock. Um, it's even grungy at times. Uh, I would say that if I were going to compare this to things, um, I would say the heavier side of Mazzy Star. Uh, a lot of like the Bad Seeds, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, and the wildness element of it all, you know? I really like the Bad Seeds and I like Nick Cave. Um, I like the sounds that they make and I like the way they present them. So um, a little bit maybe like the chromatics in sort of the uh, washed out element of the whole thing. And maybe a little bit like Black Mountain too. Like even though Black Mountain gets heavy, it's always a little groovy, you know? It's not hardly ever just like straight heavy metal. So um, overall though, the songs are really cool. Uh, the sounds are really cool. My notes just say brooding, but not depressed. Post-rockish, but not bloated. Powerful, but never forced. And just good, classic, park, mellow, heavy trance rock. You know, so <laughs> just the classic. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's all I really had to say about that. What do you think, Dan? Well, um, I got to... I got to make a confession. Mm -hmm. uh, when I first put this on, I listened to the first minute and a half or so. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up having to shut it off, not because I wanted to, but because 
uh, you know, something came up, but in, in the first minute and a half, I was kind of like, Hmm, this is going to be kind of interesting. And then I listened to it again, all the way through. And as the record continued, Mm-hmm. I started out where I liked it. I was like, okay, this is really cool. Then it got to the third track swans and I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I really like this. Yeah. Then by the time it got to like, I'm going to say track five, I freaking loved it. Nice. I started to like, and I went back and re-listened to it a couple more times. Mm-hmm. And then I got, I was so impressed by it and I don't like live albums. Right. Like usually. Yeah. And so this is a very unusual circumstance where I'm introduced to an artist Mm -hmm. with a live album and I love it. And Mm -hmm. they're actually on YouTube. There's a video performance Hmm. of this. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Cool. Yeah. Check it out. Um, I had to see uh, some of the video of Mm -hmm. this because I was just like, this is just too good. And then I started to like, the beginning of the album just as much as the end of the album mm-hmm. by the, by the time i got to the third listen i was like hooked nice. and everything you said definitely describes it i think there's some really amazing guitar tones going on here and i did listen to some of the studio versions and i have to agree with you that it was good but mm-hmm. i definitely see your point about it being a little overproduced And to me, I think there's something about the live versions of these songs Mm -hmm. that you don't get with the studio versions. It's just the guitar tone is just so roaring and in your Mm -hmm. face here. I mean, it's got some punky stuff, but not punk like fast, hardcore or anything. But I mean, you know, 90s sort Mm -hmm. of alternative punk rock stuff. Some of it definitely, like you said, it reminds me kind of of like dark, almost like desert rock, like Mark Lanigan stuff mm. kind of reminds me of that. And I can definitely see the Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds mm-hmm. comparison. But when it gets heavy, specifically the songs Swans mm-hmm. and uh, Night Ride to me is one of the heaviest songs yeah. on here. For sure. Uh, when it gets to that, it reminds me specifically of two, two bands mm-hmm. because uh, her voice kind of reminds me of the singers of these two bands. And mm-hmm. that is Seven Year Bitch mm-hmm. and Boss Hog. Hmm. I hear a lot of Boss Hog in some of these songs. Yeah. And I think that has to do with the dirty blues desert mm-hmm. rock sort of element that you hear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's some really great noisy almost jam it gets jammy sometimes which i actually like you know and i also hear some of the chelsea wolf kind of coming out a little bit Mm -hmm. it's definitely some doomy stuff i mean recommended if you'd like any of this stuff that i just mentioned it's (laughs) uh in my opinion it's one of the best live albums that i've heard in a long time and i would probably almost say it's one of the best live albums i've ever heard I have a feeling that it's going to end up being my favorite record from Laura Carbone Mm -hmm. just because of that. Now don't shy away from the studio stuff. The studio version of Swans is Mm -hmm. absolutely gorgeous as well. That's probably my favorite song, by the way, Mm -hmm. is Swans, but I also really like Night Ride a lot. For sure. I mean, those are, I mean, and the the whole thing is so good. 
This yeah. is if, if you like any of this stuff that both Eric and I mentioned, uh, check it out. Laura Carbone is awesome. Nice. This is live at Rock Palast. I would actually recommend starting with this record too. That's a yeah. That's the thing is like I said, I had listened to the the, the studio records before. I thought they were good. I thought, you know, a lot of cool stuff was going on. And so I checked this one out and I was just like, wow, this is really different. And I hope for the next studio album that they, you know, kind of continue this kind of sound that they have on this. It'd be cool if they did. So, Okay. So my next pick is from a project. I guess it's kind of a group, but I think it's just a one-off project. It's called the original soundtrack album of project Polaroid. And it is a collaboration between cool Keith, which I don't know if I've uh, talked about cool Keith. I don't know. Have I talked about cool Keith at all on this show? I'm sure he's come up. (laughs) He probably has, but he's probably my favorite rapper. Uh, With that being said, I don't like everything that cool Keith has come out with, (laughs) but the stuff that he's come out with that is legendary is like just that legendary. It's Mm -hmm. like some of the best hip hop, like the Dr. Octagon album, black Elvis lost in space, all that stuff. I'm a huge fan of this is an album that came out in 2006. So this is actually like a decade after Dr. Octagon. And I don't know if anybody is familiar with, I'm sure that a lot of listeners are familiar with the Dr. Octagon album, but if you're not highly recommended, it's produced by the same dude who did, you know, gorillas and also Deltron, uh, Dan, the automator and kid koala is also involved just like Deltron. Very, very good hip hop record. Um, are you familiar with Dr. Octagon, Eric? Oh yeah. Okay. I figured you, I figured you probably were. Anyway, the original soundtrack album of Project Polaroid. So basically what I kind of understand about this record, I don't know much about it and couldn't really find a lot of info on it, but I think that it's kind of supposed to be a concept record that is, it's supposed to kind of be like a spy movie. The album cover would kind of indicate that plus it's called the original soundtrack album so it's kind of supposed to be like a soundtrack album i think to a non-existent sort of spy movie or action movie or something like that uh in any case cool keith and then uh this guy named tom c3 who handles all of the beats and it totally makes sense that this would be kind of a fictional soundtrack to a non-existent movie because it is probably one of the most cinematic sounding hip hop productions I've ever heard. It's the beats are very grimy at times, like the drums, like almost sound gated and like even sort of noisy, like just that real, like um, just sort of, but then there's these incredible samples that they put over top of it. Some, I mean, I don't, I'm really bad at kind of identifying samples, but a lot of it sounds like, like cartoon music to me, like Hmm. sort of like a Johnny quest cartoon or something. Hmm. Some of it, you know, there's, there's some orchestral type samples 
on here. Um, and yeah, the rapping is just, it's kind of standard cool Keith at this point, which is very um, just abstract rhymes. And sometimes it almost sounds like nonsense, but then cool Keith kind of has this way of, they say, if you kind of decipher what he's saying, a lot of times there's a hidden meaning behind it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I can't really say that I've ever really deciphered cool. Keith is kind of the reason why he's my favorite rapper is because I kind of prefer to sort of not quite necessarily get what he's saying. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, to me, I just enjoy the kind of absurdity mm-hmm. in his wordplay and stuff like that. And I think if you're going to really get into Cool Keith uh, much past, say, like this year, like that this was released in 2006, mm-hmm. you kind of have to just sort of take it as it is, because that's really kind of how Cool Keith raps at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is really no different. I mean, he's just basically talking about space and aliens and things like that. But then also he'll make like pop culture references um, all over the place. And, but I think the production on this record is really the key here. I Mm -hmm. really enjoy the production and I think it fits really well with cool Keith's um, off kilter and just sort of, wild style for lack of a better way to describe it mm-hmm. um there's also some really kind of cool uh guest appearances this guy named prince pose on a track motion man who did a collaboration with cool key called masters of illusion hmm. is on it too and that record i don't know if you've ever heard of that one eric but no. that that is a phenomenal hip-hop record i think it came out in like 2001 or something like that but yeah cool keith is kind of known for doing this kind of thing and that's ultimately this is going to sound kind of weird one of the reasons why he's remained one of my favorite rappers is because i just appreciate the sort of maybe some people find like his well, I don't even know if I would call it inconsistency because he he <laughs> releases like six or seven albums a year <laughs> and it's always like under different aliases or it's mm-hmm. always in collaboration with this person or that person. And I think it would be impossible for anyone to own every single cool Keith release. <laughs> I wouldn't even try right. because he's he's released a lot of records on his own without a label. Uh, he he only put out one solo album on a major label Mm -hmm. and that's black Elvis lost in space, but he got dropped from the label immediately Mm. because he encouraged his, well, this is, this is the legend. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this actually happened or not, but this is allegedly what happened. He encouraged his fans to email like all of the executives and somehow he acquired the email list of like all of the executives that worked at Columbia records, the label he was signed to Hmm. and harassed them to promote the cool Keith album more. And I guess like that happened, like Hmm. I, the supposedly they, they were getting emails, they were getting flooded with emails. And so they just 
kicked him off the label because of that. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't know if that's true. That could just be an urban legend, you know? Right. In any case, it wouldn't surprise me because that's, that's how crazy this guy seems nuts. And I, maybe I shouldn't say that, but I mean, he, he definitely has like a, <laughs> there's definitely a, a uh, weirdness about cool Keith that yeah, and he's totally an individual. Like it, he sounds like no other rapper. I mm-hmm. mean, you know that it's cool Keith anyway. So this is just another sort of release in his entire discography that just sort of, it kind of came out and unfortunately just went unnoticed by mm-hmm. a, a bunch of people that I think would actually really enjoy it. If you like Deltron 3030, I see no reason why you wouldn't love the shit out of this album because his production style is almost like a grimier version of Dan the Automator. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is a very interesting one-off project, a hip hop project. If you're a fan of Cool Keith and you haven't heard this record, I highly recommend checking it out. It is on Spotify. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And like I said, my favorite part of this particular record was probably the production. Yeah. Uh, so what did you think, Eric? Yeah, I I liked it a lot too. Um, yeah, it's very cool, Keith. You know, it's the thing is, is like when someone's been doing something for this long, you know, like how long ago did Dr. Octagon come out? 96, I think. Right. So quite a while, you know, and I think when you first hear Dr. Octagon, it's shockingly out of control. I mean, I had never heard anything like it and I didn't even know what it was. I bought it because one of my favorite artists, Pusshead, did the cover. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) uh, so like literally all through, I don't know, the late 80s through 2000 if if Pusshead did the artwork I bought it I didn't care so I bought it and not even knowing it was a hip-hop record so um I fell in love with it I just I was obsessed with that first Dr. Octagon record it's and, amazing but the thing is it's like after you've heard him do that a lot after you've heard Black Elvis it starts to kind of lose that edge a little bit and I'm not yeah trying to put it down i'm just saying that it's very cool keith i mean you, if you've listened to him you know exactly what you're getting you know that's awesome it's it's good to hear it but like you said the production of this kind of is the most interesting element it's very funky 60s 70s spy samples basically throughout but not completely you know it's not it's not like a novelty you know they don't take it to that level it's just like there's lots of strings, flutes, funky bass and drums. And, you know, it does have this certain Charlie's Angels kind of feel to the whole thing. Right. Which is awesome. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard when something is just really good. And <laughs> you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like, you don't have much else to say about it. Yeah. Like, this is just, if you like Cool Keith, you're going to like this. Yeah, I pretty mean, much. That's... That's how it is. And honestly, though, uh, because of some of the source material being what it is, this kind of 70s, 60s uh, spy thing, mm-hmm. there's some tracks that actually almost verge on being like 
Portishead style trip hop. Yeah. And that is really interesting to me. And to hear Cool Keith over that is super cool. So you're going to hear stuff you haven't heard Cool Keith rap over before, and it is going to feel. So to say it's all very samey seems not accurate, but at the same time, it is pretty, (laughs) it's pretty cool Keith at this point. So yeah, I don't know if you like cool Keith, I think you'll like it. And I don't have a lot else to add to it. I don't, you know, I think his, yeah, his style and his subject matter and how he raps and what he raps about, you do sort of just have to accept that it's a little out there. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yep. Yep. Awesome. So my, um, last choice, my last choice, that doesn't sound right. My second choice, (laughs) if I had one last choice of any record to listen to, (laughs) this would be it. Actually, a lot of people would probably agree with that. This (laughs) record is by a group called satanic togas. The record is called x-ray vision. It came out in 2020. Uh, satanic togas are Australian and they are part of sort of like the Australian psych scene a little bit. I don't know how much of a part of it, or if they're sort of like on the edges of the scene. (laughs) Um, uh, but yeah, so like, uh, they're kind of like drags, uh, who we covered on this show a while ago. So they're also Australian psych stuff, but this is pretty different. This is not just psych i would say mostly this is very uh, angular synthy spaz rock like very spazzed out it obviously has nods to like devo i mean no spaz group doesn't right you know i mean it is just fairly straightforward annoying spaz nerd music so like men's recovery project mm-hmm. uh three-day stubble if you ever listen to them never heard of um, them but i like that name yeah they're they're dorks um hey, the men's Resident- recovery project sorry to interrupt but men's recovery project has a song called stubble on the chin of a vicious brute whoa maybe Do you think connected. that that is i was wondering if that's connected maybe that's a collaboration <laughs> or something maybe. anyway Sorry. Yeah. A little bit of residence in there too, just as far as um, modes and also vocal stylings, but also it is very psych, uh, very psychedelic reverb stuff. So like drags that we covered, um, the OCs, Tysigal, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also is very punky, like a certain style of punk, which is also very, spazzed out but like the crucifix or like uh millions of dead cops um things like that really edge of your seat choppy uh noisy synthesizer stuff just absolute dork rock i don't know how else to say it it's like you either love this kind of stuff or you don't love this kind of stuff and that's really all there is to it um super fun for me super annoying um every element every sound of this if you're easily annoyed by by sound and music it's gonna push your buttons for me it's it's a bit of a release to hear such dissonant irreverent 
almost anti-music. So it's it's always ni- a nice reprieve for me to go from things that I actually have to like think about what makes them good to, to things where I, I can think about all the things that make it not good, you know? And like, it just doesn't take any thought. It's just visceral and just super annoying. I don't know. I'm saying that in a good way. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's just super fun out of your head, worms in your brain music. So anyway, what'd you think, Dan? (laughs) Well, I mean, I already knew I was going to like this just from when I went to their band camp page, (laughs) I looked at, they describe themselves as punk garbage from the underworld, (laughs) which I like, but they also have an album and it's not on Bandcamp, Hmm. or maybe it's not an album. Maybe it's an EP or a single, but Mm -hmm. it's called the shit that killed Elvis. (laughs) And to me, if you're if, if anybody who has a title of anything called the shit that killed Elvis <laughs> is automatically good. I mean, there's, it can't be oh, bad. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, so there's that. And yeah, I mean, everything you said, Eric, I, I barely can add anything else. I mean, I, I definitely heard the angular synth stuff. I definitely heard the, the drags, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Devo, the Stooges, Ty Siegel, Jay Riotard. I think if you like any of mm-hmm. that stuff, fun distorted guitars. It also reminds me a little bit of the Human Eye oh, that yeah. we also yeah. reviewed. Sure, super yeah. catchy synth parts at times, and mm-hmm. it is probably the most lo-fi thing I've ever heard. Yeah. It's like the <laughs> definition of lo-fi. Like I think if the dictionary is going to start putting <laughs> lo-fi in there. They need to just put a picture of this album. Yeah. It's just so that it's that bad, but (laughs) bad in a very, very good way. It's like, it's like bad in the best way. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think that's awesome. I think clearly this band doesn't really give a shit and they're not taking themselves that serious. Mm -hmm. And I think that's amazing. It also has elements that remind me of the screamers. Mm, Um, Yeah. Oh, also, Baron Zen also, particularly the song Skinhead. Yeah. That that's a great totally, song. <laughs> totally reminded me of something that would have been on the Baron Zen album. Yeah. I instantly thought of that. Yeah, this is absolutely fantastic. Tons of distortion and reverb. Vocals are just almost inaudible. But I mean, it's all of this is good. Yeah. Like I'm right. not, I'm not like, I'm sorry. I God, I hope like they don't end up like listening and think that I'm like putting, cause I love the fact that the vocals are almost mm-hmm. inaudible. Yeah. I love the fact that distortion and reverb are just covering almost everything up on mm-hmm. certain parts. Also, I think if you like surf rock, I think, you know, yeah. a noisier sort of man or Astro man would mm-hmm. be a good, good description. Yeah. This is great. X-ray vision. Yeah, I mean that nice. I think that describes the album. Like yeah. this sounds like it was recorded by mutants <laughs> from like uh like like if Toxie fronted a band. <laughs> That's what this Yeah. I, I, I mean Yeah, uh what the Toxic Avengers, you know, it's like The Toxic Crusaders. Toxic Crusaders, that's right. it. Yeah. But now wasn't Toxie he was like, okay, so let me get this straight. He was called the Toxic Avenger in the movies, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. But he appeared in cartoon form in the Toxic Crusaders. Right. 
Okay. Yep. And and that because was a they bunch sort of, of made like a Captain Planet sort of deal out right. of it. They had a group of young people that um I honestly think they were cleaning up like toxic waste and environmental yeah, issues were. and things. Yep. And um I think Toxie was like their leader or something. All yeah, I really, it, really remember him is doing like maybe an outro at the end or something, you know, like a and knowing's half the battle sort of deal. Right. Yeah. I don't I I should probably watch it. I mean, how often does a trauma franchise get turned into a kids cartoon? Like yeah, I really should pay att more attention to that. Well, I used to watch it growing up all the time. Mm. Toxic crew. I remember the uh chorus toxic crusaders nice. which i mean that obviously i wasn't hired to do the same but um <laughs> it would be funny if i was yeah uh, so x-ray vision by the toxic crusaders by uh, the toxic crusaders. by satanic togas satanic togas yeah and, no this and the cover it, art destroys it's gorgeous it's yeah it's the the cover art is amazing it <laughs> reminds me of like yeah, it, rem it definitely reminds me of a cut and paste zine oh, like, yeah. sort of thing. And I love it. Yeah. I love that stuff. And it, it's super fun. If if you like anything that we talked about, if you even like the Toxic Crusaders, yeah. <laughs> just, just check just imagine, this record out. You're going to like imagine, it. Imagine if in the cartoon, the Toxic Crusaders were a punk rock band instead of a bunch of environmentalists. <laughs> like, that's what this is. Just for the record, no one has ever uh, said that statement before. There's no right. Way. There's no way. And so <laughs> that's ladies and gentlemen, you hear it first. Yep. On accelerative thrust. <laughs> Satanic togas. Satanic togas. All right. So uh the local, uh, if you've made it this far without shutting it off and throwing your listening device out the window. <laughs> um, as I mentioned before, we're gonna be reviewing Nalani Proctor from Keokuk, Iowa. I believe she's from Keokuk. Mm -hmm. We're going to review her single that she dropped on Friday the 13th called Voorhees, um, which is obviously, uh, I'm pretty sure, a reference to Jason Voorhees mm -hmm. from Friday the 13th. That would make a lot of sense. And then her EP that she dropped earlier this year. So this has been out a while, I think since February. You were right, hold my hand. So we'll start with the newest. And I'll talk about Voorhees. Voorhees is a, a track. And she released it as a single. And she put out a band version and an acoustic version. And I, you know, it's it's not unusual. Uh for Nalani Proctor, I think, to write about, make references to horror movies. Uh, her old band, the PBJs, which I'm not sure if they're still performing, I don't think so, actually did a song called Horror Love, hmm. which has a really fantastic and hilarious video um, with all like three of the most iconic horror characters, Jason, Freddie, and Mike Myers. Uh, you probably should check that out, Eric, because I know how much you like horror movies. Mm -hmm. Cool. The thing that I will say about Nalani Proctor right off the bat is she's just a really great songwriter. Um, there's some bird sounds in the background that are really nice, which 
kind of invokes the feeling that this was recorded outside. I'm not sure if that's what was going on or if that was what the intent was. Um, I believe the acoustic version might have been, might have some ukulele in it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is just a really, really masterful song. Um, and, you know, I, from what I've heard of Nalani Proctor, I wouldn't expect any less. Her um, voice is absolutely fantastic. Um, and so, yeah, Voorhees, uh, very, very good. And then You Were Right, Hold My Hand is the six song EP that she released back in February. The first three songs immediately uh, make me think of Voorhees, uh, has like a folky singer songwriter kind of vibe for lack of a better way to describe it. And it's done really, really well, but there are a few curveballs on this EP that I really like. Um, my favorite song hands down is river mouth. Um, it's kind of got this almost like <sighs> disjointed sounding bridge, which I think is just absolutely incredible it starts to get almost carnivalesque, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of reminds me of some of the breakdowns that Modest Mouse used to do, like on Lonesome mm-hmm. Crowded West, for instance. And there's just, you can just hear that there's a lot of great instrumentation. You can definitely hear that Nalani just has, uh, again, an excellent singing voice, but also is just um, a really great songwriter. And it sounds to me like she's probably a jack of all trades. Like Mm -hmm. she plays, I think, multiple multiple instruments. So she is a multi-instrumentalist. And then all of a sudden it gets electronic. The song is called Solidage, I believe, or Solidage. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Solidago, maybe? Is it Solidago? I think so. Okay. And the reason why I said Solidage is because of my handwriting. It oh. looks like an E instead of an O. Gotcha. So I apologize for that. But it is uh, a very new wave kind of sounding song. Uh, and this uh, again, it's just very catchy. And it kind of just goes in a different direction for a little bit. And uh, same with the last track. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of has a little bit of an electronic feel. And then it, the EP closes with an acoustic version of the second song. And it's, it's just, it's amazing. Some of it reminds me a little bit of like early Radiohead. If you're like into that kind of stuff, like Pablo Honey, the Benz type stuff. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I forgot to mention on the song Rivermouth, I love the phaser guitar and mm-hmm. echo voice effects that are on it. It totally stands out from the rest of the record, mm-hmm. which is probably why it's my favorite track. But really the entire thing is amazing. I would say that if you're into sort of Nora Jones, maybe, maybe even Apple a little bit. And like I said, Radiohead a little bit, some new wave as well. And just like really good singer songwriter by somebody who I think is probably, I would assume Nalani is a, is a trained musician. I don't know that for a fact, but it's amazing. I I really enjoy this quite Mm -hmm. a bit. So Nalani, good job. Uh, what did you think, Eric? I loved it. And uh, of course, I loved the Voorhees song. Yeah, I just thought it was a really fun way to talk about horror and just write like a really 
beautiful song about Jason Voorhees, or at least use him as a placeholder for another idea. I don't know if it's metaphorical, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Yeah. And that's kind of what I like most about a lot of these songs is that some elements of them are very direct and some are sort of left to interpretation. But yeah, and then uh, you were right, Hold My Hand. I loved it. I was really blown away by it. She has an amazing, cool voice. Like it's it's one of, I would say it's one of the most naturally good voices I've heard. And what I mean by that is in a world where a lot of people are doing a voice, I always appreciate when, when I don't feel like someone's doing a voice, when I feel like that's really what their voice sounds like. That's how this sounds to me. Um, yeah. It's a very powerful and full voice but it never gets like operatic or cheesy rock or anything like that that you usually associate with those that kind of voice it's just strong and powerful and really pretty um vocally i think it lands somewhere between like jenny lewis and beth gibbons from portishead like both of those mm. people have really strong voices that I never feel like they're putting on an act. They're never doing a voice. That's just their voice, you know? And so it kind of made me think of those two vocalists specifically. But yeah, the songs are really cool. They do span a lot of different um, sounds and moods, but I think they're always sort of anchored by the overall atmosphere of it. And her voice, of course, is the constant. Mm-hmm. And the arrangements and playing on this are are so good. Like, yeah. and it's actually really amazing to me that it it looks like she played everything. Um, yes. In the credits, it says like some um, sort of um, incidental sounds are done by some other people, mm-hmm. but everything else is her. And what is cool about that, not only is the playing amazing, But a lot of times, if you only have one person writing and performing and recording everything, it feels like all the ideas are coming from one source, that they don't seem like multiple people are having an influence on this, which sometimes can get sort of stale, you know, like if a guitar part goes like this, you can pretty much bet if the same person's playing the bass part, they're going to be similar, you know? And with this, I would not have suspected for a second that this is one person playing everything because everything sounds like it's coming from a different idea source, like from a different person, if that makes any sense. And so all the playing's amazing. I really liked not just the, the kind of electronic rhythms of that song, Soledago. Soledago. Yeah. I really like the actual synth sounds of it too. It's really cool. I did like all the reverb and stuff on the Rivermouth song. Uh-huh. But one thing I really liked about this record is that there's tons of great reverb, atmospheric sound and everything. But whereas most people kind of hide behind that stuff and help it help to cover things that they might not feel as confident about right i mean everyone who makes music knows that if you don't feel confident about something you just cover it and reverb and and then it's better right um but i don't think that's how this works i think it all adds to it 
And her voice is just so upfront that it's obvious she's not hiding behind anything. It's stark. Yeah. The vocals are stark. And when she does harmonies with herself or even or, or with herself or even just doubles up vocals for a natural chorus or whatever, it it's just amazing. It's 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 so good. Yeah, that's pretty much all I had to say about it was that it's amazing. So but yeah, I'm really glad you picked this because I don't know Nalani. And as far as I know, I haven't seen her play or anything. So I'm not sure I would have found this on my own. So it does have to be mentioned. She does have another project that is more like electronic new wave bass called Finally Some Action. Oh, yeah. I've listened to them. I had no idea. Wow. That's yeah, cool. she is. She is the singer in that group. Cool. And They're really horror bent. Very, very much so. And yeah. if... If I'm not mistaken, and I could be wrong about, I think it might be with her husband, but I'm not sure. Um, in any situation, it's a two-piece. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, very synth-based. And like you said, very horror sort of themed or yeah. whatever. It's very cool stuff. So yeah, Nalani Proctor is part of finally some action. So cool. it actually makes sense that she would have maybe an electronic Mm-hmm. sort of influenced song on her solo EP. So yeah. cool. Anyway, that, 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 that's all folks. <laughs> I, was, I, again, I've been, when you're 40 and you've watched more Looney Tunes in your life than when you were 12, is that a problem? Yeah. Nah. Okay. Heck I just want to no. make sure. This is your life. Do with it what you want. <laughs> it's my yeah. life yeah. and it's now or never. Now be careful. We don't want to get copyright. See, that is an example of somebody who has an untrained voice who, <laughs> if I were to sing in that voice, I would be hiding behind a bunch of reverb <laughs> and yep. sounds and stuff. There you go. That's what I do too. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? Well, Nalani Proctor. Nalani Proctor doesn't. Other than that, everyone else. Everyone else has a pretty bad voice and it's hidden behind reverb. Everybody. I can't think of anybody else in the universe. No. In the universe or the multiverse or the matrix or any of that stuff. Holy shit. Or the dream world. The The dream dream world. Filled with dead deers and bags. Dead deers and bags. Wow. People, stuff like that. We really. taking a, a trip here on this episode yeah, this is this is a uh this is breaking new ground this is a heavy one y'all folks i hope you had a good time listening to this yeah. um yeah get, get at us with some of those dreams man i i yeah. i think we should become dream analysts for sure yeah um so next week speaking of be, dream dream analyst yeah what's going on next week <laughs> next week we're going to be talking about Sam Kester, or not about <laughs> Sam Kester. I'm going to be talking about him we're right gonna, to his face. <laughs> right to his face. We're going to be talking. We're going to talk to Sam about River City Collective. And we're going to talk to him about, you know, Jerry, you know, basically what we talk about with all our guests, the history of them and the Iowa scene and probably get into some nonsense because, yeah. you know, that's always a thing that happens. And I can't imagine mm-hmm. having a conversation with Sam Kester. He's a pretty funny guy. Yeah. So um, 
he's got a good sense of humor, so I'm sure it's going to yeah. be a good one, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure we'll talk about some food. Well, oh, we're going to have to talk about food yeah. with Sam. We all love food. That seems to be a common thread with yeah, Sam. I know. <laughs> is food. Yeah. In fact, maybe that is what we'll just plan on talking about. Okay. Like, so forget everything Dan just said. Yeah, forget everything. We're going to have Sam Kester from Muscatino <laughs> next week, and we're just going to talk about food. We're going to talk about food, ladies Sam and gentlemen. Sam has played in bands and shit, but we're mostly going to talk about tacos. Yeah, tacos, burritos. <laughs> which one's better? Which one's more superior? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had that debate. Or supreme, as it were. <laughs> yeah, I had that debate with somebody. And really? They said that they think the taco is the champion and they love burritos, but they said that tacos are the champion because you can make a taco into a Chaco taco. But if you did that with a burrito, (laughs) it would just be an ice cream sandwich. That's true. Yeah. It would just be a Chorito burrito. (laughs) A Chorito burrito. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> actually that's sounding pretty good yeah one time uh one of my wife's friends called a choco taco a chicotico <laughs> so now i just i always call them chicoticos but actually i don't want to say always because i haven't said yeah <laughs> i haven't talked about a choco taco till now from <laughs> 20 years ago <laughs> but if I... it ever comes up i would say chicotico to be honest with you, I haven't seen a Choco Taco in 20 years. If you work for Choco Taco, reach out to us and let us know. Yeah, we would like to see one. <laughs> we need to know if they Let exist. us know if you'd like to sponsor our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. If we got sponsored by Choco. Accelerative thrust uh, sponsored yes. by Chicotico. <laughs> Chicotico. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man. We, we okay. Gotta, we got to leave. We we, go. Yeah, we got to leave, guys. Uh, hit us up on uh, <laughs> Instagram and Facebook. Let us yep. know about those dreams. Let us know about any records you want us to review. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let us know about anything, man. We're we're yeah. here to discuss. Uh, yep. Accelerative Thrust on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for listening, everyone. Brought to you by Chicago. Chicago. come up with a jingle like a chicago jingle chicago